Before I begin, I do want to say a very hearty thank you to Dean Powery for inviting me to be with you today. It's especially uh, delightful for me to be with a Princeton classmate in this place who is leading this place so well. It is also, as he said, very special for me because I have a long history with Duke. Uh, my parents were married in 1951 when my dad was a basketball player here at Duke. Uh, their early years of marriage were here. Uh, and then um, in the 1960s, uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 1969, I was a little girl and I had my first traumatic experience at Cameron Indoor Stadium. When the crazies were wearing skull caps to mock my father and saying horrible things about him, and I couldn't understand why he was the coach at the University of Maryland at the time, it got a little better when we came back when he was uh, inducted into the Duke Basketball Hall of Fame. And then I understood what it really meant when my son was a walk-on at Georgia Tech, and he was playing at uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, and he came home and said, Mom, the Cameron crazies insulted me. So it ends up that's actually quite an honor. So it is surreal for me to be preaching in this place, and very, very special. It's an honor and a delight, not only because it's this place, but because preaching is a daunting task. I approach it with, as Paul says, with fear and trembling. There's so much in the scriptures that we have read today that I won't address. But even as the words were read, I wondered if you were startled by people killing people and pigs running over a cliff and all kinds of things that just don't really compute in our day and time. And let me just say, before I go on, we must always remember and handle Scripture carefully because so much trouble in our world comes from people who don't, do not understand that these words are not the definitive word about God who is beyond all words. They are stories about people's experience of the divine in a particular day and time, and it is our job to interpret them in light of the law of love. But still, that is a daunting task. One of my favorite descriptions about the task of preaching comes from one of my favorite pastor theologians, Henry Emerson Fosdick. He says, this preaching is akin to discharging a dropper of eye medicine from a third story window into a crowded street in the hope that it will hit someone in the right place. Fosdick founded a church in New York City during the Great Depression. He so wanted the church to be a union of those who love in the service of those who suffer. He penned the great hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory. Let us pray. God of Grace and God of Glory, by your Holy Spirit, 
May the words of my mouth hit someone in just the right place today. And may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Grant us wisdom. Grant us courage for the facing of this hour, for the living of these days. Amen. When I saw the lectionary reading for today and was pondering Elijah's story, it reminded me of Phelan's story. Faye's story goes back only 20 years, back to 2001. She was a young woman trying to make it as an actress in New York City. The work was sporadic at best, and there were no benefits. She was facing the reality that she was going to have to get a real job. She met a woman at a party who said, hey, have you ever thought about being a flight attendant? And Faye was transported back to her childhood when her mother ran a beauty parlor and Faye got a real kick out of filling a cart with drinks and snacks and pushing them through to all the people getting their hair done and sitting under the dryers and saying, would you like a drink? And all of a sudden she remembered how meaningful it was to surprise people with kindness. And she said, I think that might be just the thing for me. And so she applied, she got a job with an up-and-coming airline, and she couldn't wait to surprise people with kindness the way she knew she was meant to do. But then she started the job. She says, I remember having two epiphanies. This job is hard and people are horrible. I learned when she told her story that flight attendants get bruises on the bottoms of their feet from turbulence. It was hard for her to be around other attendants who resented saying, your trash, please, thank you. We thank people for their trash? It hit a low point for Faye when on a flight that she was attending, a passenger had a heart attack. Everyone went in to full gear. She was holding an oxygen, pa uh, oxygen bottle. Other people's had the defib paddles. And there was a passenger behind her tugging on her, tugging on her. And she couldn't believe it. Excuse me, excuse me. Please wait just a minute, Faye tried to say with kindness. But then the thought hit her, well, maybe she's having an emergency, or maybe she knows something that could help us with this person. So she turned around, what is it? This coffee is cold. And Faye recalls, I learned that people are cold. And she might not have been fleeing for her life like Elijah was. If you remember what we just read, Elijah really was fleeing for his life. Elijah had gone into the business of prophecy feeling good and with a strong vision. But things hadn't gone as he had planned. He thought he'd done the right thing, but now someone was after him. And so he ran. He hid. 
Faylane hadn't run away exactly. She might not have been praying the prayer that Elijah prayed, it's enough, God, take away my life. I'm no better than my colleagues. But like Elijah, she was running away. Just weeks before, she had seen Manhattan burning from the air, and she felt no better than those other weary, resentful flight attendants. And on this flight, when a passenger got out of his seat while the seatbelt light was still on, she didn't feel like surprising him with kindness. She was annoyed, and she just wanted to escape in the book she was reading, like Elijah had escaped into the wilderness, she'd had enough of this passenger. After all, he'd gotten on board with a garbage bag with his stuff in it. This was a pet peeve of flight attendants. For goodness sake, they'd say, you can buy a bag on the streets of New York for $9.99. Don't bring your stuff here in a plastic bag. He had come in and, and spread the bag out and taken up the whole bin which is another thing that annoys flight attendants, because other people have to use it. She told him, you have to sit down. He had stood just guarding it, making sure no one, you have to sit down, sir. And he shut the bin, and she thought, I'm just going to open it again if somebody needs to use it. Then they were at cruising altitude, and she was sitting quietly on her little jump seat, reading her book, escaping, when the seatbelt light came on, and she worried about the person who had already gone into the restroom, was waiting them there for them to emerge safely, when that guy got up. While the seatbelt light was on. Sir, the seatbelt light is on, she said. I know. She wanted to keep reading her book to escape from the demands of her calling, just like Elijah wanted to escape from the demands of his. But then something moved her. Oh, she, she didn't say it was a voice like the one that Elijah heard asking, what are you doing here? But it was something. It was something like what that question did for Elijah, it summoned her back to her work and her calling. And so she said, are you traveling for business or pleasure as a feeble attempt to surprise him with kindness? Neither, he said. I live in California. I came to New York because my son was a first responder at Ground Zero, and he died there. I came to pick up his uniform, which is all I have left of him and it's in a bag in the overhead bin. What are you doing here? What are you doing indeed? Faye remembered. She remembered then what she was doing there. She put her book down and got back to doing it. I wonder how many of us lose touch with what we are here to do. 
How many of us, like Elijah or Faye, sometimes feel like we are being relentlessly pursued and we just want to escape it? We want to cry like the boxer Roberta Durant, no mas, no mas, no mas. Perhaps our experience has not been as intense as Elijah's, who really was running for his life. But just like Elijah feared the wrath of Jezebel and sought solace in the wilderness, maybe sometimes we too have sought the wilderness of isolation, cutting ourselves off from others, just wanting to get away. Perhaps it's a past failure or regret that's chasing you, a relationship or a job that left you feeling alone or ashamed and inadequate and you are running scared. Perhaps it's the pressure of achieving the mythical, effortless perfection that the researchers here at Duke called that getting life just right without showing how hard it is. At Stanford, they call it the duck syndrome. You have to look like you're floating tranquilly, accomplishing all things, getting great grades, getting good jobs, raising great kids, getting good raises, but never let them see that underneath the water you are pedaling like mad. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the burden of those expectations of not only being highly successful, but doing it without making it look hard, never letting anyone see how frantic you really are. Maybe it's that that has you saying, no mas. Perhaps those days of high expectations are past and it's a chronic illness or just father time chasing you down and the increasing burden of a body or a mind that won't cooperate and the uncertainty of what tomorrow might bring for you or someone you love leaves you like Elijah tottering between fighting for your life and praying that it will be over and all you want to do is hide. Perhaps you've concluded that people aren't as good as you'd hoped they'd be and life is harder than you thought, just like Faye. Maybe it's the realization that like Elijah, you didn't hear God in the things you thought you would, the winds of success, that time your world shook with excitement, the fire of circumstantial happiness when it burned bright and yet still you did not hear the voice of God and you're still asking, is this all there is? When Elijah runs for the hills, afraid and despondent and despairing, his first encounter with the holy is a messenger who nourishes him and gives him food. But then the voice comes. What are you doing here? And that is what vocation is all about. It's not about a career path or a retirement plan or figuring out what you want out of life. It really is about asking what life wants out of you. The Quaker Thomas Kelly says it's like this, vocational discernment, discovering your call in life 
is seeking to know the particularization of God's heart for the world that is my responsibility, my share in the joyous burdens of love. This is what life asks of all of us, whatever age we are, whatever stage we're in. The particularization of God's heart was different for the different stories that we read today. Ezekiel gets this commandment, take a brick. And he has the task of helping a traumatized nation begin to make meaning out of their trauma. The task of giving them a sign that helps them to make meaning and understand what has happened to them and to name the unnameable. Jesus told the healed demoniac who'd been bound by powers beyond his control and utterly alienated from the community, go back, go back, and build community and tell your story. That is your joyous burden of love. This is our calling. This is the church's calling, to be people united in love in the service of all who suffer. We might be tired, overwhelmed, exhausted, or afraid. We might want to run and hide, just like Elijah. May God grant us the courage and the wisdom to respond in faith when the question comes, what are you doing here?